0: Welcome to the Yahoo Finance Presents podcast. I'm Alexis Christophorus. My next guest took a scrappy up-and-coming beer company and turned it into a leader in the craft beer industry. Martin Roper stepped down as president and CEO of the Boston Beer Company in April, and I'm delighted that he joins me now on this podcast. Martin, it's great to have you here.
1: It's great to be here.
0: So you're about three months out of your position uh, as CEO of the Boston Beer Company, one you held for 17 years. You were with the company overall for 24 years. I guess first off, how does it feel to not get up every day and go into the Boston Beer Company?
1: Well, it's, it's sort of torn emotions. I'm, I'm missing the people. Uh, I'm missing my colleagues. I'm missing the, the free beer <laughs> and also the, the cut and thrust of, of running a business, right, in, in terms of uh, the decision-making and everything else. But on the other hand, I'm now outside the beer industry, and I'm looking at uh, – my next chapter and all the opportunities that exist in uh, a CPG. Uh, and there's just a, a tremendous amount going on, which frankly, running a company, you're sort of in, in, in blinders on and you don't really see. Um, so now I'm exploring other categories. I'm meeting lots of new people and exploring that next chapter.
0: So resigned but not retired is the message.
1: Yeah, that's right. After 24 years just doing beer, I was in the very fortunate position that I could sort of uh, tell Jim, the founder and my Uh, The chairman that I wanted to do something different. And, uh, you know, life's short, and having spent 24 years in beer, I wanted to go experience a different industry and try and scale a business again, uh, frankly.
0: What industry uh, sort of piques your interest the most at the moment? At the
1: moment, I think uh, there's other areas of beverage that are, qu- are quite interesting, um, particularly with the health and wellness um, that's going on. So in in dairy, and you can extrapolate that out into other health and wellness products, and like yogurt and uh, and health bars and things like that, and even into health and beauty. But I, I'm currently sort of exploring all areas um, to see how far I can push the leadership capability that I bring. of Uh, You know, leading a company, setting strategy, uh, using culture to win uh, organizational capability and taking a platform and diversifying it to grow. And I'd like to to find something maybe far away from beverage uh, so I can enjoy a different industry.
0: Talk to me about how you took – uh, the Boston Beer Company from this small craft brewer to a leader in the industry. At the time, really, the company was a pioneer in this space that has now become quite crowded. You're also responsible for some of their brands, including Angry Orchard Hard Cider. So just sort of walk us through that journey of starting the company and then and then building it into the company we see today.
1: Sure. Well, I, I joined Boston Beer in 94 um, when the first craft wave was go, was going on and Boston Beer was the leader in that. And I joined as uh, head of supply chain and, and came in to sort of s- uh, solve a lot of the supply issues and cost issues and margin issues. And then when the craft beer industry hit the wall in '96, it was largely around fixing the business and professionalizing the business, because it was a young entrepreneurial company. Uh, When I became CEO in 2001, it was more around, we have this platform, we have this business, we have our margins fixed, let's try and generate organic growth. And over the next 17 years, we not only doubled the Sam Adams business, but we were able to diversify and add uh, Twisted Tea, which is a flavored malt beverage and is the number one in that category. Angry Orchard, which is a hard cider, which is the number one in the hard cider category, uh, and uh, Truly Spiked and Sparkling, which is a hard alcoholic sparkling water, sort of like La Croix, but with, uh, yes. with, with, with with alcohol in it, which is currently the number two player. And so we were able to see these opportunities to create very you know big uh, brand opportunities, and we were able to launch in, into those off the platform that we were built. But the platform was fundamentally a passion for beverage and producing great craft beverages, uh, an incredible sales organization. Organization with incredible wholesale relationships and a supply chain that had great margins and efficiency and could deal with complexity at scale economies.
0: Um, craft brewers now account for almost 13% of beer sales in the U.S. The latest figures I saw, there were 6,266 craft breweries in the U.S. at the end of 2017. Um, how does one even begin to compete and stand out in an industry like that? And as the CEO of one of the largest craft brewers... How did you do that on a day-to-day basis?
1: Yeah, it's an incredible statistic. You know, 5,000 of those uh, craft brewers have emerged in the last 10 years. It's sort of two a day last year was starting up. So very low barriers to entry. And and it's morphing a little bit into local breweries with local taproom experiences and a zip code. Um, And so that's very hard to deal with as a national brand. But I think what you do is you focus on quality and education of drinkers as to what they're tasting because there's still a, a huge education void as to how these flavors are developed. There's still innovation Going on on the R&D side to develop new flavors, like Sam 76, which launched in the spring, is a ale lager fusion where the hop ar- um, aromas and flavors are enhanced by the time, but due to the, p- the point in time they're added in the process when the yeast is still active. So the yeast is actually making the hop flavors more interesting. Hmm. So we're still learning how to make beer, which has been obviously brewed for <laughs> for, for, for for centuries. Um, and so I think a focus on quality, innovation, staying close to dr- to, uh, to drinkers, and obviously on brand of building and education is going to keep uh, uh, the, the big craft brewers uh, very healthy.
0: Curious where you see opportunity in that space right now. I know on, on, the, on the grander scale, not just craft brews, but beer companies in general are looking at how they may merge the cannabis industry with their industry. Some Some brewers are talking about infusing their products with cannabis as we see it being legalized in more and more states. What's your feeling on that?
1: So um, I I would have to admit to having zero knowledge about the space, right, (laughs) Um, in terms of, um, but obviously it's very challenging to do anything right now due to the federal regulations. Um, And so anything that's happening is going to happen at state levels, which from a national craft brewer perspective means it's quite limiting. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's possible that we're going to see a tidal wave of change in the regulations controlling uh, those sorts of substances. And that might uh, 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 prevent, uh, uh, propose some opportunities. And you're seeing that a little bit in Canada right now with Canada Um, but um, Boston Beer doesn't play directly in Canada. I think once the regulation is clean then you'll see people start to experiment with these ingredients in beer because that's what craft brewers do is we put Interesting ingredients in beer, and we experiment from peppers to teas to to uh, uh, you know seasoning or hops or fruit or whatever it might be. So mm-hmm. I think that's what you what you're going to see, and we'll see what the drinker actually wants and likes, and uh, and where that all shakes out. But right now, it's sort of tamped down by the the state regulatory environment.
0: Would you consider uh, the cannabis industry slowly being legalized across the country uh, a challenge or competition to the beer or alcohol industry?
1: Yeah, I think it's very hard to know right now. Like the states where it's been legal, um, beer, alcohol consumption, it's been roughly flat, maybe a little down. So people are pointing to potentially it being a little less alcohol consumption. I mm-hmm. think Colorado is an example people point to. But there's other reasons in, in, in t- that you could point to for consumption being down, both economic and the fact that people probably are drinking a little less anyway as people drink healthier. So I don't think we really know. And I think that's one of the advantages of this you know, going legal state by state is we're going to get a feel for it. And and we'll m we'll step into it slowly.
0: What's interesting to me when I think of uh, the Sam Adams' brand is I still think of it as this small craft brewer, which it's it's not, but I think a lot of that is testament to your leadership style. I mean, you were able to have sort of this entrepreneurial spirit exist even as the company continued to mature. Uh, tell me how you can sort of foster that within the company.
1: Yeah, well, first of all, let me correct the perception. So Boston Beer is 2% market share. So I guess it, it is. Which small. in my world is small, right? <laughs> yes, yes. And I think people, you know, look at Sam Adams' and say you're the largest American craft brewer and that makes you large and that's true but it's relative to your neighborhood zip code brewery that's you know doing 100 100 barrels. Um, So I don't think about Boston Beer as being large. Um, I do think about it as being craft and certainly the culture of the company is a passion for uh, flavor ingredients and innovation which is pure uh, craft. Um, And you ask how do you you know preserve that? I think Um, it's a focus on, I'm a big believer that culture Beat strategy um, and therefore, you know, treat the employees right, empower them, allow them to fail and to learn and support them and allow them to chase um, their own ideas uh, in a way that is obviously, you know, not, I, I use the word controlled, but supported and mentored uh, in a fashion to, to produce success. And then you can preserve that craft culture even as you grow uh, and even as you add these, you know, more complicated brand structures.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, you certainly allowed yourself uh freedom to do different things within the company, the founder, you worked with the founder. I, I, first, I'd like to know what was that like? Because that can be scary, because founders consider their companies their babies, and sometimes they don't. They may think they want to hand them over, but they don't really want to hand over their yep. reins. How was that, working with the founder? Of well, the Boston well one, company?
1: my founder, Jim, is just terrific. He's a visionary in the craft uh, beer space. He's incredibly um, sharp and also very supportive of a long-term value creation approach. And so I really enjoyed working for Jim. And, you know, I joined in 94, became CEO in 2001. So by then, I suppose we'd been dating for seven years before (laughs) we sort of got, uh, I'm going to use the word married, but it's really a partnership. I think a, a CEO... Uh, with a founder is, um, is, is a partnership. Um, there are things the founder wants to do and has to do. And there are other things the, the founder may not be the best person to do and or maybe doesn't want to do. Mm-hmm. And as a CEO in a, in, a, in a structure like that, you have to work out what those are. And those obviously change over time, because I think one of the things that causes that relationship to work is trust, you know, which comes from a long relationship. So it, it morphs. O- over time uh, as basically more is given to you or there is greater free greater freedom mm-hmm. um, so for me it was you know obviously one of the most formative business ex- experiences in my life 20, 24 years sure. I loved yeah. it. Uh, and actually, really enjoy working for for uh, for a founder in that environment. And, and you'd like to do that again? Yeah, okay. uh, yeah. I'd like to do that. I'd like to do that again. I think I can bring a lot of skills in how do you scale a business, how you professionalize a business, how do you preserve culture and values while doing that, mm-hmm. and how do you you know seize the opportunity? I think you know one of the things I see is is the markets are now changing so fast in terms of. Uh, You know, the opportunities and the windows of opportunities that you've just got to move way faster than you had before. And I think some founders get to the point where they struggle to do that because it requires um, what I would call operational excellence execution. Mm -hmm. Um, And I can bring that. So I'm, I'm looking to do that again.
0: The company certainly took its time finding a replacement. I think it took them a little over a year uh, to name Dave Berwick, uh, formerly of Pete's Coffee, as the new CEO. You know Dave.
1: Yeah, Dave David had been on our board since, I think, 0605, So we've known Dave quite, quite a while. And I think Jim was, you know, I told Jim that I wouldn't leave until he found a CEO. So mm-hmm. he had some time to find the best CEO. The pressure CEO. was off in the that sense. The pressure was yeah. off, and I, and I had committed to stay until, until he found a successor. So, uh, Jim was a, and the board were able to take that time. They did a extensive search and they concluded that the right candidate was uh, someone that they knew, uh, who knew the company, knew the employees, yeah. could preserve the culture. Um, and Dave uh, was was uh, you know raised his hand and was chosen.
0: Um, what did you learn during your tenure as CEO of the Boston Beer Company that you think could help Dave now in that position?
1: Well, you know. During my tenure, the company went through several waves, and I do think that some of these business uh, you know, cycles are cyclical. I suppose that, um, by definition, cycles are cyclical. Uh, <laughs> and so you have to have patience and you have to try things. And you also need to uh, have speed to market and, 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 and be very aggressive at trying opportunities and accepting failure and learning from them. Um, so I would encourage Dave to, you know, one, we've, he's got a great team. We rebuilt the leadership team there uh, two years ago. Um, two years ago, our volumes were down. We rebuilt the team, and we turned that around. And you seen in the first quarter, our volumes are are up, and the company is in, in really great shape. So this is the team that did that. Dave, you've got this great team. Listen to them, empower them, engage them, and keep pushing the boundaries forward as to what is possible in Beverage.
0: Would you say that you concentrated maybe a little too much on the East Coast while you, were, while you were with the Boston Beer Company and, and maybe underestimated uh, the West Coast brewers? What was happening well, in the craft c- brewing? industry? Certainly
1: in the craft beer side, we, we were one of the first craft brewers to really get a, a national footprint, and we did it with uh, Sam Adams Boston Lager and Sam Adams Seasonal. I think what we missed was the growth of West Coast IPAs that started to happen in the 2000s. And when we did do IPAs, we didn't totally nail the taste profile that the West Coast IPAs were going after. So I th- do think that was a blind spot. But I think more generally, uh, um, you know, as a, as a CEO and as, uh, based in Boston, it's quite easy to miss the middle of the country or what's happening on the other coasts. We had an early lesson in this with uh, Twisted Tea, which is this flavored malt beverage iced tea, which we launched and it failed and then we relaunched and it failed except it took in three, four markets. And they were more rural markets. They were markets that you and I would not travel to on a regular basis. And when we went to talk to the, in those markets as to what was going on, we found a different drinker than we expected. Hmm. And it was a drinker who was incredibly loyal and could be built on. And so, you know, one of my observations is, is the U.S. is a very big country. Each state or market can be different. Um, there are different attitudes to beverages on the coast than there are in, in the middle and different needs. For, um, and you can have an incredible business focused on either the coast or the middle or both. And you, but you need to be aware that they all exist.
0: I'm curious what your favorite flavor is or brand is within the Boston Beer Company family.
1: Oh, that's so, sort of really hard. <laughs> you, you know, you talked about, you know, Jim, the founder and the company being his baby, but some of these beverages are my babies, right? That's right. right. You were there um, and create, but, help but my create wife them. would kill me if I didn't say Sam Adams Oktoberfest because ah. I was drinking Sam Adams Oktoberfest when I met her. Oh. Um so she would absolutely kill me. Um so and uh, and uh, Jim would probably kill me if I didn't tell you that Boston Lager is completely terrific which it is and yes. and um but as I think about um you know the rest of the portfolio so outside of the Sam Adams having given you my two favorite Sam Adams I suppose I'm most proud of Angry Orchard um mm-hmm. in 2010 11 we realized the cider category was starting to grow again. We'd been in cider since 97. This is one of those launch and then wait and learn from failures episodes and we saw that it was growing but we we weren't winning and so we did the the work to understand and and the drinker had moved to Sweden. So so ciders back in, in the 90s were, were dry, and the drinker had moved to sweeter. And huh. so we relaunched our ciders. We rebranded it. We reformulated, still using all this expertise we had on how to make a great cider and to source great ingredients. And we launched Angry Orchard in 2010-11, and it went from obviously nothing to 60% of the cider category, while also increasing the, the size of the category by a factor of five or six. So um, – that I'm probably most proud of. It was a, a team effort, and we saw an opportunity, and we actually executed against it And, and based on years of, of failing.
0: A lot can come out of those years of failing. That's right. Nothing wrong with years of failing. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Especially if there's an upside, when there's an upside. You also turn that into an experiential um, um, experience for customers with the Angry sure. Orchard. I, I've actually been to, um, I guess, the Angry Orchard up in upstate New York.
1: Yes, in, in Warden, New York.
0: Yeah. And do you have any... any do I say do you? But you're not with the company anymore. Yep. But you're just a few months out. So, are there any other orchard, angry orchards like that elsewhere in the country?
1: Um, there are other sort of family-owned cideries that are more sort of apple farms that have, have developed into cideries. So, there are. If you wanted to go do a tour of other cideries, you can put that together. I think the Angry Orchard is pretty unique. One, we purchased the orchard. It's a hundred-year-old orchard, and we wanted to experiment with bringing back the old cider-making apples um, from uh, from the historical apples. That used to be grown here but aren't grown here anymore, and so we wanted some control of agriculture. So it's, it's not only a home for Angry Orchard where we do a lot of the R&D on the, uh, on, on the cider beverage side, but it's also a home for the, for the apples and the trees. And we're currently uh, grafting trees trying to bring back some of these very old traditional cider apples that will make the, the cider even better.
0: And there's also a very cool master treehouse on the property. There is, yes. They, uh,
1: the treehouse builders came and built a beautiful treehouse, yeah. which has to be one of the best places to have a beverage at the end of a day.
0: I can attest to that. I'm curious, though, your thoughts on the larger uh, beverage industry. I'm talking now non-alcoholic, the Pepsi- Pepsicos and Coca-Colas. Mm-hmm. What they may learn from what your experience was at your company. I mean, these are folks who have been struggling with a decline in the sugary mm-hmm. drinks, um, yeah. and many of them realized they had to get into the water game in, in order to help survive, uh, what would your advice be to, to those companies?
1: Well you know first of all enormous respect for them they're running businesses that are hundreds of times the size of the business I, I run. I think um, you know my advice would be to support innovation and speed to market. Uh, in a in a fashion that's consistent with their business model. Um, and to make sure they're in tune with some of the trends that are going on, you mentioned, you know, less sugar, which is basically a health trend. It's a calorie trend. So, yes, it's less sugar, but it's still sweet tasting. So how do you deliver that? Um, you know, you mentioned the water chain, the trend. It starts off with bottled water, but then it goes to sparkling water, and then it goes to flavored sparkling water, and then it gets to Gatorade and Powerade, which are really you know, with no disrespect, but they're sort of flavored waters without the sugar and stuff. Right. So I, I think, you, you know, you need to be aware of these trends and you need to lead lead them um, and you need to encourage your teams to to innovate in them. And you need to have, uh, you know, in a company like that, that's largely focused on margins and volume, the the capability to do complexity at scale economics, which is uh, you know one of the things I think Boston Beer was able able to do, so you can actually play around in these areas and try and generate your own wins. Now I think they will always buy um, companies, and and in doing so, obviously the challenge is preserving culture and momentum and not taking the soul out of it in the acquisition. And I think that's very hard, particularly if the founders are, are exiting. Um, mm-hmm. So I think they have to you know think very carefully about that, about how do you keep the soul of these acquired. Uh, businesses as you build build your own portfolio, but you need a combination of innovation with, from your own team, acquisition acquisition, and melding it together.
0: Now, I know we spoke earlier in the podcast that you are looking for the next opportunity that you'd like to get involved, perhaps stay in the beverage or food industry or not, and perhaps work to help build a company up again from the ground up, um, perhaps with a founder. But you're only a few months uh, out of the Boston Beer Company. I'm curious, what was one of the first things you did uh, when you stepped down? I knew that you didn't have to wake up early the next morning and go into work.
1: Oh, I started working out. You know, after 20, Isn't that uh, after twenty four <laughs> years of drinking beer all day every day, uh, I started working out. It was great. Well, you don't and, have and, a beer gut, and, and, so well, don't well, worry. You're, you're, you're very kind. You're very kind. Uh, and and spending some time, obviously, obviously with my family. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, one of the things. So I used to walk into a, a supermarket and I go to the beer, beer the beer aisle, and I could spend an hour in the beer, aisle, walking up and down, and I would probably get to the wine aisle and the spirits aisle too, if they existed. But now I can walk the whole supermarket, and I'm just blown away by the fragmentation that's going on around major brand categories, and uh, how many entrepreneurs are out there doing interesting things in a wide range of categories, from snack bars to chips to, you know, mayonnaise and ketchup or barbecue sauce or whatever. It's, it's just completely, completely crazy, uh, and I, I think that's been the biggest thing. It's sort of you're so as a CEO, you're so you have your blinders on for your own category and your own issues, and now that I just look and go, yes, the world a big place. There's a lot of opportunity here.
0: But it's nice to be able to breathe and not feel the pressure when you walk down the beer aisle because I would imagine if that were me, I'd have that little voice in my head saying, what's that guy doing? Who's, what, what are they doing? Well, Maybe I, we should be doing that. I
1: still send photos in of what I see. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's hard to, to, break, to break ties. It's, it's, hard,
1: it's hard to break ties. Yeah, the, 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 the biggest change, frankly, has just been the disconnect from the email and the informational flow. And, yeah. you know, I think it, when, you, when you run a business, obviously you have performance metrics, and some of those are daily or weekly, and there's an adrenaline to that. Sure. Um, you kind the, of the, go the, from the, 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 the sixty the to ten. That's right. <laughs> right. That's right. Uh, so that, that, that so. that's, that's been the big, the biggest, yeah. the biggest change.
0: With a little more time on hand, are you reading anymore? Curious what uh, maybe is next to the bedstand at night.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm. I am reading a little more. I'm trying to read a book every two, every two weeks. The most recent book I was reading was about employee empowerment, which is something that. Uh, you know I, I I think is a big part of building a great culture and how do you engage employees and have employees perform at a level that you'd never expect and sort of in, in a and that, that tends to happen in management structures that are non-traditional non hierarchical so how do you then organize a, a company like that and in particularly how do you drive a company forward like that against goals uh, particularly you know like in Boston beer when you're across multiple different categories and you're trying to win in five different spaces how do you do, how do you do that as a so i'm reading a f- number of books about people who've done that in different industries and and trying to think through about how do you create that culture
0: not to put you on the spot but can you share the name of, of any of those books I'm sure listeners might be interested So i'm
1: really bad with names um <laughs> that's and, okay because so, obviously
0: we can we can take this out which is why i said that and okay. we're not live so we don't have to mention that all okay right. great sorry and Are then f- nope not at all and then um, back
1: like being back at high school
0: I know it's sort of <laughs> it's tough when you're right on the spot. You know, you know the name of it. It's up there. Well, but.
1: I'm not sure I do because I am really bad with names. But um, anyway, going yes. in between. Yeah. Okay.
0: Uh, and lastly, Martin, if we were to walk into your home office, what would be sitting on your desk right now? What would some of the items be on your work desk at home? Huh. Or are you going to tell me you have a very clean desk? <laughs> no, I don't.
1: My wife would not allow me to tell you that I had a clean desk. So one, I actually have a TV on it because I've been watching the World Cup and I've been very disappointed by the England failure last week. Yes, um, sorry about that. You know, I, uh, I, have a, I have a scanner, I suppose, that just because everything is now digitized. So life there's no, there's no paper. You scan right. and, you, and you shred um, but I, I have a bottle of Utopias, um, which is Sam Adams' Utopias. It's 24%, uh, 25% alcohol. We produced it every two years. It's bottle-aged. And we used to give the employees a numbered bottle, oh. um, and we uniquely numbered the launch. And there were about twelve, fifteen thousand 15,000 bottles each launch. and. By the time I finished, I was employed I think number 14, <laughs> so I have number 14, but over the years I've, I've got these bottles and they're all sitting there above my desk in sequential numbers showing how I how long I stayed at the company. Uh, I haven't drunk the bottles. I'm saving them for maybe a wedding of my boys or something <laughs> oh, uh, something special. Uh-huh. Um, but just a s- signal of quality and passion about beer. That's and they what sort you of tell see.
0: your personal story.
1: They tell the personal story and the, con- the continuation of it, yes.
0: Yeah, Martin Roper, best of luck uh, with the, the next iteration, whatever it is you go off to do I know it'll be it'll be a lot of fun and please do come back and join us
1: I would love to thank you it's been a pleasure
0: thanks for listening to the Yahoo Finance Presents podcast be sure to rate review and share this podcast and remember to subscribe so you never miss an episode